Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 43 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. And first things first, Angelo, happy Monday. Happy Monday. And by extension, happy happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, New Year, new Olympic Games. I'm very excited. (laughs) I like how you quickly diverge from my happy New Year to uh, things that are going on in your life. So yeah, the Pyongyang Olympics are going on right now. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, so this is the first Olympic games in my life without, uh, cable TV. And we were kind of wondering how that was going to work because we do want to let the kids watch that stuff. We think it's kind of fun. Uh, my daughter's into dancing, so we figured she'd like the figure skating and she likes to skate. And, uh, we watched some tonight using the CBC app, which unfortunately doesn't have an equivalent on Apple TV, but you get to airplay with it. And, I always thought AirPlay was garbage, um, AirPlaying to the Apple TV. It's always, I always felt it was buggy, and I never used it that often. And uh, with this, I've discovered that it's actually pretty good. It works really? really well, yeah. I just punch up the app on my phone, bring up what we want to watch, and it sounds great. It, well, sounds great. It sounds good, but it's it's perfectly HD. It looks perfect. It's not like you're... It doesn't look like I'm mirroring some weird thing off my phone. It's actually going from my phone to the Apple TV and playing off of that. Have you thought about getting a digital tuner? No. It's. I mean, they're like 15 bucks, right? So you can pick up the basic uh, free-to-air channels like CTV and CBC in Canada. Yeah, that that's true. The thing is, what's nice about the app is you can watch what's live on CBC at the moment. Or, okay. more importantly, just watch whatever you want that's happened in the day or so and a half. Right. So it's like its own little PVR. The only thing is you have a couple of ads at the beginning, but it's about a minute and a half. So who cares? Have you had a chance to see the logo for the Olympics yet? Yeah, it's like the the twigs and the star thing, sort of. Do you feel like this is the perfect stick figure image of an alien sighting? Oh, look at that. I I see what you mean. With the star and the house. Yeah, and it's... it's so is there... A uh, reason why this is the logo? I don't get it. Yeah, there's a significance to it. I don't remember what it is, and we'll link to it in the show notes. It's I'm blanking on it right now, but I'm going with my twist of uh, man meeting otherworldly creature. Okay, well, that's that's a good enough one, I guess, for me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so apart from uh, the CBC app, you've also wanted to mention uh, the YouTube app. So the YouTube app on the Apple TV has always been just there it's like some weird derivation of what like the uh, of what apple wants apps to look like on the apple tv and it, one thing that bothered me about it is that you can never tell if you'd watched a video or not like you know when you go on youtube you can see there's a little red line underneath the video you've already watched yeah well that didn't happen on this one so i couldn't tell if like oh, there was a series of videos i was watching which one i had left off at uh and all of a sudden they changed it and I hadn't noticed, and I got home one night, and my daughter's like, Daddy, Daddy, they changed the, the YouTube app. It's totally different now, and I had to figure it out, but I figured it out. And I was pretty proud of her. She kind of like, they completely changed it. It's it's pretty much what the YouTube app looks on everything else. So like it looks like my the one on the PlayStation 4 and what I assume most people see on smart TVs. And yeah, she totally figured it out on her own. Uh, the Apple does not fall far from the tree in this case. Mm, the first dad joke of the evening i see but that's okay we'll live with it uh, i really didn't mean it as a as a dad joke but i guess yes apple tv apple okay i get it you made a reverse <laughs> dad joke there wait you didn't even realize that you were making a joke as you were making the joke 
No, I didn't really think of. I, I actually uh, meant it sincerely that, like in the saying of the apple not falling far from the tree. But I guess now that makes sense. Mm, okay, <laughs> uh, big Apple news this week. Uh, some of its source code leaked, uh, which is interesting in that it this is a very rare occurrence of uh, Apple boot code going out in the wild. This almost never happens, from what I can tell. Uh, they just. It looks like, um, from what we're understanding about this, a low-level Apple employee kind of stole it, but he didn't apparently have any bad intentions, from what I can tell, according to a Mac Rumors article, and that it was he had done it to benefit the jailbreak community, which, the last time I checked, not many people jailbroke their phones anymore, because it's sort of irrelevant at this point, especially with all the security flaws with that. It's also a pain in the butt a lot of the time to do now. Yeah, and then as soon as Apple updates, you don't get the update. And in times such as these, we want to be as secure as possible, which is one of the main reasons people choose iOS over Android in some cases, in that it's a lot more secure because they keep it updated. Now, the updates haven't been super great lately, which uh, which we're getting to. But yeah, th- this is not good. It got removed from GitHub pretty quickly because Apple put up a notice to take it down. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this, Brian? Uh, firstly, I think the progression of articles that we're going to is really interesting. So there's the original motherboard article, which outlines the issue. Then there's the TechCrunch article, which references the mud, mud, the motherboard article and uh, talks about how it, it apparently is like three years old, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Mac Rumors article, which comes out days later, then kind of explains where this code comes from. Yeah, and there's a low-level uh, intern. But then they, they call him an employee and an intern interchangeably in the article, which I found was interesting. And then, yeah, he just he wants to share it with his buds, and it somehow gets out. And the interesting thing, thing is apparently... A lot of this code um, was posted to Reddit last year. No one paid any attention because the uh, account was too new. And then uh, even odder or scarier still is that there are other portions of code that have yet to be publicly shared as verified by um, the author in the Mac Rumors article. So it's this very interesting progression of it's out there, uh, it's problematic, and here is what happened to it. Now, what I want to ask you actually is, and I think I know the answer to this one. Um, so Apple puts out a, a press release saying that it's old code, it doesn't really matter, and that there are multiple layers of security. And I feel like it's a classic case of like downplaying um, your vulnerabilities. So I think that perhaps uh, it probably might be a little bit more crucial than Apple is willing to admit uh, to the integrity of the phone. Well, from the TechCrunch article, the security expert they talked to seemed to think it really has little to no effect to Apple uh, iPhone users, as long as they're on iOS 10 and 11, which most users are. Uh, It seems to affect Apple more than anyone else in that they're going to have to kind of scramble and make sure there's nothing wrong that would affect consumers. I'm tending to think it's not a huge security issue for us, but I do think Apple's downplaying it as much as possible. I mean, they kind of have to at this point, right? <laughs> they, yeah. they just can't come out and say, hey, guess what? You guys are right. We're screwed. Yeah. Uh, also, like that's how you uh, create a stock collapse. Yeah, I don't think they want that to happen at all. Uh, that would be really, really, really bad. What I'm interested in seeing is, you know, in the next like three to six months, if there's anything to be gained from the iBoot um, code uh, that can be applied to. <laughs> you sound so Canadian when you say that. <laughs> a boot. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, but the the booting saw the booting code. I'm kind of interested to see what comes of it if there's anything at all, right? So the idea is that the code was originally shared for jailbreakers, and then suddenly it's out in the wild for uh, whatever issues uh, or instances people want to create something new or destroy something with it. 
I'm just hoping that the security uh, guy they got from uh, for the TechCrunch article is actually right, and it really doesn't affect consumers at all. It's more just uh, bad PR for Apple than anything else, and that they'll kind of have to make sure their code gets fixed. Because that would really suck if it it's like a huge security breach. Again, it doesn't seem like it would be. Like even not having read that TechCrunch article, I figured that's, you know, three-year-old code. It's stuff that's been changed and most stuff is secure at this point. We'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll just, uh, we'll take a wait and see approach. It's not going to affect our day-to-day at all, right? Well, at least I hope. Yeah, unless your iPhone just starts turning itself on, sending random text messages. Actually, uh, I wanted to bring this up. We were text messaging before um, getting ready for the show, and I noticed our text messages are going out of order. Did you, where does that happen? Yes, to you I too? have that. I have that happen all the time where the reply to my text message will appear on top of my last message all the time. Now it hadn't been happening for a few weeks because apparently they had fixed it in the latest update, but then it started happening again. And I'm starting to wonder if it's not something on their end. Um, I'm curious if any of our listeners have been having this happen. I know it happens to me. It happens to my wife. And um, this is part of the problem. Apple's been having with their software where they're trying to go ahead way too fast than they really need to. And we kind of need to slow things down. And uh, it so happens today, um, Mark Gurman came out with an article talking about how Apple's planning to slow things down just a little bit. And also just kind of work on what they already have before going upwards and onwards. Like I was reading the article and they're talking about delaying uh, the new photos app and how that would display pictures and stuff because of the fact that they do actually need to work on their, uh, I don't want to say core necessarily, but sort of like their, uh, their, their main routines. Yeah. Well, everybody lately in the Apple developer community has been talking about this like mythical snow leopard moment. The snow leopards, uh, an older version of uh, Mac OS back when it was OS 10, and it was basically to kind of shore things up with uh, what the previous version was called Leopard. So they called it Snow Leopard. And the big thing that year was there are zero new features in this. Where in fact, there were like hundreds behind the scenes, but it was all under the hood stuff. And people kind of look back to the Snow Leopard OS thinking it was like the best thing ever. It still had its own problems. Every OS is going to have problems. You're never going to have a perfect operating system Uh Unless it's something that's completely hardwired, like some, like the the Nintendo Entertainment System, that was the perfect <laughs> OS because there I was think, none. I think Lollipop is agreeing with you tonight. Oh, you heard the cat? Oh yes, she uh, she wants to hop on the call and talk about the uh, the iOS stuff. Yeah, I do agree with you with a lot of that though. And the funny thing too is just uh, yeah, the idea of uh, an operating system stability. Right, it's all a question of like respectiveness. How stable can you get it? Because you'll never get anything stable because uh, there's something called the user. That's the thing they can never account for is, yeah, you can do as much internal testing as you want, but that's maybe just hundreds or maybe thousands of people. And you put on a public beta, again, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. But then... And the problem, well, the problem too with the public beta is that you get people who are interested <clears throat> and know about the software, right? Whereas like out in the open public, it's never it's never that worst case scenario with beta testing because of the fact that you're getting buy-in from people who are eager to help you, who know how to use your software, who know how, know how to use these apps. Yeah, people like us are like perfect uh, beta testing type people, even though I never run a beta on my iPhone. I'm not a I'm, I can wait. I don't really need to run the beta. I'm, I don't feel like I should be doing that. And I recommend like 
any of my family and friends don't do that either unless you're like a software developer. Uh, I know uh, there's other podcasters out there I listen to that definitely run the beta because they feel they should. And a lot of them are developers and know this stuff actually more than you or I do. And that's perfectly fine. The thing is, is once it gets out into the regular public where we've gone from hundreds of thousands to millions and millions, people are going to use their phones in weird ways that Apple never thought of. Yeah, and I think that's like that's the thing is that we might be the ideal beta testers, but we're also the worst beta testers. Yeah, because we're not doing anything weird with our phones. I knock on wood, I rarely get anything weird completely like totally bizarre with my phone that some of my friends report to me and say, "Look, this is happening with my phone. Why is this happening?" I'll get bizarre bugs like uh, for example, today by noon, my battery was at 75%. Normally, my battery at noon is like at 90% maybe 88 something must have gone wrong i shut the phone off turned it back on plugged it in at lunchtime and then it was back to normal so it was just some weird bug but when when you're doing other stuff sometimes really weird stuff can happen uh like the aforementioned text bug that's really annoying yeah it's uh, i can't believe they slowly driving me crazy yeah and that's one of the bigger things right because the the messaging app is is probably the most used app on the phone for me, yeah, it's uh, it's the second most used app after Overcast because I listen to so many podcasts. But yeah, in terms of the most active, like Overcast in the background, though, I don't really do anything with it. In terms of actively used apps, by far, that's the most used app. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's pivot up and keep, in one way, let's talk about things that are bad, but let's talk about different things that are bad. Uh, your and my uh, favorite social network, Facebook, Facebook is bad. And that is kind of the understatement <laughs> of the year, if not of the decade. But we have some evidence, new evidence backing a lot of these claims up. So uh, Facebook's been in the news. Well, they're always in the news, but uh, a couple, was it last week where an article or a couple weeks ago, an article came out about uh, Mark Zuckerberg hiring like a pollster to make sure his approval ratings within the company stayed at a certain level, which is kind of odd. I don't know. Like, do CEOs normally do that? I feel like they do a lot of reputational management, right? So the idea of being able to be seen as a leader, um, especially with anything publicly traded where, you know, it is a, a board that kind of keeps you in check. I think I am not as surprised as most people about this, but I guess I might be a little bit more jaded in the way that things work. So yeah, this guy, uh, Tavis McGinn, formerly of Google, goes in for a job interview and halfway through the person interviewing says, we have a job for you that uh, is a particular one. And uh, how would you like to track the public perception of Mark Zuckerberg? And of course, um, again, agrees. And then uh, he spends six months over at Facebook uh, tracking a lot of this stuff, uh, both inwards and outwards with the public too. And Zuckerberg really seems intent on making sure people really like him. Uh, it's, I, I guess it's important to him. He feels like he, he wants to do good, it's, apparently. That's what it seems like is in his head that he wants to do good. But it, if that's the case, then like one thing after another with Facebook is seeming like it's, he's doing m- much more harm than good. And he seems to be figuring this out at this point, And that's why he wants to have somebody kind of there to make sure that he stays in check and he understands what he's doing wrong. One of the more interesting things is that uh, McGinn had a really good quote in the Verge article that we'll link to below in the show notes, but I'm going to read this to you. So uh, McGinn says, Facebook is Mark and Mark is Facebook. Mark is 60% voting rights for Facebook. So you have one individual, 33 years old, who has basically full control of the experience of 2 billion people around the world. That's unprecedented. Even the president of the United States has checks and balances at Facebook. It's really this one person. Yeah, 
it's insane. Luckily, uh, yeah. So like, if he's that's the Facebook's basically the biggest country in the world. If you think of it as a country with two billion uh, residents, I guess we'd say they're users. Yeah, users. Yeah, virtual residents. Yeah, it's like the Sims. Yeah, and I wonder if there's how many are are like really active. I would hazard a guess that it's a relatively high percent percentage of people. I feel like it's a declining percentage though, right? So as the wall garden opened up over the last uh, decade plus three or four, so let's say like 14, 15 years at this point, right? Or no, let's say 12 to 13. Uh, first it was universities, then it was other universities and slowly open to the public. And now your grandmother's poking you on Facebook and uh, wants you to play Candy Crush with them. And I feel like user engagement in those cases uh, will drop out amongst um, the original segment of people who are using it, but it's supplemented by um, older people or people who don't have a university background who gain access to it and are sharing whatever they want on there. Uh, well, personally, I really don't like Facebook anymore. I used to enjoy it. I used to post stuff on uh, as like what what my daily thing was happening and all that stupid things. And they every, every once in a while, I'll, I'll go on and log in and, and notice something stupid I wrote like five, six years ago. But I don't like it. I hardly use it. And it's lately it's been getting worse in terms of my use, uh, causing my parents to ask about photos. It's like, uh, why are there no pictures on the computer? And Because to them, Facebook is the computer, right? Like my dad goes on Facebook and YouTube, and that's pretty much it. Wasn't there that news story a couple of uh, months ago about how like Facebook was planning on uh, including a browser-only version in Africa, and so a lot of people were quitting Facebook to the internet? Yeah, this was actually like over a year to like this dates from before we even started doing this podcast where yes they, they've so facebook what they've done is that they've put in these plans in a lot of third world countries where they're kind of pushing free internet and things like that and facebook is part of that package so it's yeah maybe they're doing good that they're putting the internet but they're almost taking advantage of of these countries where they don't have the infrastructure, Facebook comes in, puts themselves in, and they're like at the top of the heap of what people do on the internet. Yeah, it's kind of insane to think that, uh, as you know, McGinn was saying, just the idea of like one person at the top having influence over billions of people with um, swift decision uh, making prowess, right? Like a lot of the times, uh, Zuckerberg and it seems like Zuckerberg and his admin team decide things and then things get done. Whereas, uh, unlike bureaucracy, which takes forever. And has like endless red tape. This is kind of more of a direct approach. Well, I'm I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an article um, by uh, Frédéric Filou. Uh, he's uh, he writes the the Monday Note along with um, Jean Louis Gasset, who used to work for Apple, and that's why how he came across the Monday Note. He's the other guy who also writes on the Monday Note, and he's equating Facebook to almost being like big tobacco. Oh, and I definitely agree with that. I And so a link to that is probably the longest article that's not a book that I've read uh, explicitly <laughs> for this podcast, right? Uh, so you linked me to a wider story called Inside the Two Years That Fe- That Shook Facebook in the World uh, by Nicholas Thompson and Fred Vogelstein. And it is an 11,000 word uh, mammoth piece of tech uh, that includes more than uh, interviews with more than 50 people at Facebook, both on and off the record. And it kind of um, starts uh, with... I guess like summer 2016 would be the best place to start it, right? Yeah, it's the last two years of of Facebook, basically. Right, and it kind of goes forward in time, uh, especially in the aftermath of the election, and then slowly piecing together what happened, and then understanding finally, you know, just in the last couple of months that there were uh, state actors using Facebook to push things. 
it's it's actually insane that one of the quotes that really resonated with me was from uh, Rene de Resta, where um, she'd been studying how misinformation spreads on the platform. And, it, and she found that if you joined, for example, an anti-vaccine group on Facebook, she saw that the platform would start suggesting you flat earth groups or maybe ones devoted to like uh, Pizzagate. And, and, and basically she equated it to them putting you on a conveyor belt of conspiracy thinking. Yeah, and it's this really kind of weird thing where, like, if you're interested in learning about the fringe, you can. And then uh, above and beyond that, there's that um, some a, a point that was really interesting in the article that I hadn't realized or maybe uh, consciously thought of is the fact that Facebook did not want to become a publisher of news because that placed them. Uh, under other guidelines in the United States, whereas they were just an aggregator of um, different articles from different outlets, which kind of protected them from a, uh, a number of things. Yeah, there's some clause from the mid-90s, apparently, that they were trying to make sure that they either stayed outside of or stayed within. I can't remember the exact thing. Um, it was outside of. Outside of, okay. And it it's exactly that. They need to be an aggregator of news, but not to actually create their own news. And it, and this is something we people were talking about for a while with with the trending news thing that became a big story last year, and uh, how they were um, against uh, conservative news. They were kind of like pushing liberal news, and they are supposed to remain neutral. It was it was just odd. It's just it's weird how these uh, algorithms tend to like at that point it was people, but now it's algorithms and. Um, like the rest of noticed, they're pushing uh, <laughs> conspiracies just like the uh, YouTube algorithm. So the first part of the article definitely uh, is very interesting that it talks about the uh, folks who were contracted to work on trending topics because they weren't proper Facebook employees, but they were actually uh, contracted out to do a lot of work. For example, like if there was a natural disaster or something and that wasn't uh, trending uh, as it should have been, they would push up that news. Um, and it kind of goes into how uh, some of the internal memos were leaked because of the trending topics, folks, and then uh, goes on to kind of explore more broadly uh, the implications of what that is and how uh, by staying out of the news, they were actually in the news and molded the news in ways they hadn't anticipated because a lot of Facebook employees were actually anti-Trump and pro-Hillary uh, Clinton. But at the same time, they didn't know how to uh, properly uh, use their tech in order to voice that. Well, the problem was that a lot of the pro-Trump stuff was, like, false. Uh, that was a lot of the stuff that was happening against Hillary Clinton. And the thing is, as soon as things become political, it becomes a major problem. Um, the thing with two of those uh, employees was that they were friends with a journalist at Gizmodo, and they started leaking information to him, and as soon as they were caught, they were pretty much fired. Yeah. And uh, so the article kind of goes uh, chronologically through time to pretty much the present now where Facebook has pledged to sort of uh, better work on its algorithms and also planning on sharing uh, stories with Facebook users that resonated more locally. Yeah. So something that kind of struck me funny from the article is how uh, New York, the New York Times were like resented that Facebook uh, helped. I think this is a quote from the article. Actually, New York Times resented that Facebook helped elevate BuzzFeed, and now BuzzFeed is angry be, about being displaced by clickbait. But thing we said last week, BuzzFeed has actually become a really good source of excellent investigative journalism. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, Craig Silverman and his group are doing really great work. And I think that like there needs to be a demarcation between BuzzFeed proper, aka listicles, and then BuzzFeed News Vertical, which actually does a lot of really, really great work consistently. And it's it, I don't want to say it's fun to read because a lot of stuff is super depressing. So uh, it's insightful to read, I guess, would be the best way of putting it. Yeah, their tech uh, section is really uh, well done as well. Um, but now that's the thing. Has Facebook become this like uncontrollable monster, sort of like the YouTube algorithm? I don't know if it, I mean, the thing is that, like, I don't understand enough of the internal workings in order to say yes or no. I can only speak to it, like, on a kind of broad uh, level. Uh, I don't know anymore. And that's the thing that bothers me is I don't know where this is going. I don't know, because uh, this is the closest thing we have to, like, a Facebook ID, like, a, an internet ID card, really. Because the thing is that, like, even if you don't have a Facebook account, Facebook is somehow tracking you because they have um, hidden pixels in all of these major websites, right? So they have a profile of you, and they're just waiting for you to hop on. What are these hidden pixels you speak of, Brian? That sounds like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I wish it were, but a lot of people have uh, proven that um, in a number of places. I'll dig up some links and I'll show you. But yeah, it's kind of really interesting that like the idea that they're formulating a persona for you online, uh, whether or not you join. I, I, I still love all the uh, conspiracy theories that Facebook is listening in on you on your phone and stuff. And then when you go to Facebook, it'll, it'll see some, you'll see something you talked about as an ad. Well, funnily enough, in the article, one of the Facebook employees asked, uh, would turn his phone off so that way no one could track him being close to the reporter. Yeah, that, but that's different from them listening in. That's actually something that's totally possible to do. For sure. And uh, the other thing, too, is that uh, one of the trending topics people got caught because they were uh, talking about leaking the internal memo on Gchat. Yeah. And how is Facebook getting that information? That's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, I guess the laptops were property of Facebook. I don't know oh, what kind okay. of yeah. uh, I don't know what kind of NDA or what kind of terms they signed. Uh, so this is a Brian Hasty PSA. If you plan on leaking information, hide yourself, cover your tracks, don't use company property. Yeah, uh, good idea. Buy yourself a burner phone. Do like um, Edward Snowden did in that movie, uh, that documentary about him, where he basically covers himself completely whenever he's on a laptop. I don't know if you saw that movie, Citizen Four. Yeah, that's it. No, I haven't yet. I've neither watched that nor Oliver Stone Snowden yet. I haven't seen the Oliver Stone one, but yeah, I saw the the documentary with uh, Glenn Greenwald. And uh, yeah, Snowden completely would go under covers to make sure nobody could see what passwords he was entering. He, I don't know how much Snowden, maybe this, like, do you think he's like paranoid in terms like almost medically so? You mean uh, like a, a fear of his life? Yeah. Do you, like, oh, for sure the degree to which these leaked stuff has definitely made him a target. So therefore uh, things that you and I don't care about, he cares about very much in terms of how he lives his day to day. So I'm willing to accord him uh, a bunch of uh, doubt as to whether or not uh, he has something going on up there. Yeah. He seems like a brilliant guy though. That's the thing. He's not, he's not a dummy. Speaking of dummies, uh, follow up from last <laughs> week, uh, Donkey Kong, uh, uh, disgraced winner Billy Mitchell has now uh, gone out to defend himself, and we'll link to an article from ARS Technica in the show notes. All Did you about say ARS Technica, yeah, is ARS it? Technica? Yeah, it's ARS. It Technica. sounds like butt. It sounds like saying butt Technica. All right, continue. So <laughs> Thanks, Angelo. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to link to a show uh, an article in the show notes all about how Billy Mitchell is out there defending himself because his whole thing is he's questioning the lineage of the tape that was given um, to a lot of these uh, Donkey Kong form folks because he is questioning uh, how these tapes came to be. He's not denying anything. He's just saying, where did these tapes come from? Follow the lineage. He's asking questions, following the money. 
except the money leads back. I think he's just he's buying time is what he's doing right now. I think. Yeah, he's a cheater. <laughs> Thanks, Angelo. Just <laughs> we, up. we know he's a cheater. You're just mad that his hot sauce is so expensive. Can we even get it here? I have no idea, and I, nor do I want to give this man any more money than I have to. Yeah. Anyway, we can't get his hot sauce here. We can't get the home pod here. It's Life a no it's good. a bad time out there. Yeah. But yeah, so uh Billy Mitchell wants uh, the quote unquote original tape to surface in order to prove his innocence. Uh something tells me that the original tape has surfaced and it will not prove his innocence. Hashtag release the Donkey Kong tapes. <laughs> you know, let's get that trending this week. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Uh, you just mentioned the HomePod. So apparently, and we were talking about this a couple episodes ago, home, the HomePod may be uh, an audiophile's dream for its price point. So somebody on Reddit compared the HomePod to a, a pair of $1,000 speakers. And he did all kinds of miking and making sure that he can get all the sounds in there and notice and graph everything and way over my head because I just like, I'll listen to music and it sounds good. It's fine. Like I find my uh, Google Home Mini sounds totally fine to me. Uh, and he said this thing is incredible. It's it really is amazing. Yeah, and I, I as we were saying, like I think that Apple's miss uh, pitching this. I do think it is a great audio system, but not a great voice assistant. Yeah, and and the Reddit user's name is Winter Charm. Basically, what he did is. Um, he used a calibrated microphone. So he tested it in an untreated room with a calibrated microphone. And um, to quote, he says it has near perfectly flat frequency response, which is important, right? Because you want the flatter the sound, the the more true to the source. Yeah. yeah the, what it, the artist the wanted to. Yeah. yeah they, what they wanted to convey comes out in that case. And uh, like, for example, when we, when we edit podcasts or if you're editing music, you want to have um, the most flat response so that you actually get it to sound as good as possible on as many different possible arrangements as there are. Although most people just end up listening to it on their phone speaker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, To most people, it doesn't really matter. But to some, uh, especially those who are interested in listening to music, uh, with a certain standard of quality, I'd like to say... uh, uh, this kind of thing is very, very important. And so I'm really interested in seeing the public perception. I know that uh, Sam from Not Alone is taking his home today and testing that out. Yeah, we'll have to. I don't think he'll do a segment on, about it on a show, but uh, we'll have to see what he thinks because uh, it's actually it's impressive how good the sound is for how small it is. I never realized how small it was. I thought it was actually bigger than it ended up being, but it's about as tall as an iPhone 10. Yeah, and it packs uh, quite the punch, which is great. I'm still not going to buy one, nor do I really care to buy one. But uh, hey, knock yourself out. I might get one for my living room. Um, We'll see. But it's not available here yet. And uh, it'll probably be in the 400s over here with the exchange. So uh, still cheaper than a grand for some speakers, though, which I would never want to pay that much for. Yeah, and and we talked about that maybe a month ago, about how uh, most audiophiles are just wasting money, burning sacks of money for no reason. Not in their own heads, though. No, but I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, music quality is in the eye of the holder, I guess. Yeah, look, I'm happy with my AirPods. They sound totally great. Uh, Quickly moving from one uh, topic of music to another, the main man, Quincy Jones, is turning 85, and he's going on this uh, weird victory lap where he uh, has these really great in-depth articles, both in Vulture and GQ, about uh, not really caring about life anymore. 
uh, but also having really interesting stories to tell about how, for example, in the Vulture uh, interview, talking about how the Beatles were one of the worst bands he'd ever heard originally. That's that's nuts to me that he would say that. Uh, from what I understand, the Beatles were actually pretty good. It really struck me as somebody who's like, whatever, I don't care. I'll, you guys think what I think or not. And this is my story. I'm sticking to it. He got um, the author of the article, uh, David uh, Marchese, got a lot of really good tidbits out of him. That's for sure. Yeah, he. They talked about Michael Jackson. They talked about the current state of music, which uh, you you and I both have problems with. So uh, yeah, what's what's crazy is that he like started off with a bang. How basically he just accuses Michael Jackson of stealing everything. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then not crediting the keyboard player who came up with uh, some of the greater stuff on Off the Wall, for example. Yeah, it's anyway. Like, I highly encourage you to go read the article. It's not at, nowhere near as dense as the Wired article we talked about earlier. Uh, it's just there's funny tidbits. He goes off into conspiracy territory as well, which is kind of fun. Which makes yeah, like who killed JFK? He has the answer. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he wants to know. Uh, one of his questions to the reporter was. Uh, He's like, uh, what's your sign, man? Yeah. And he's like, this is great. He's like, uh, Pisces. And he's like, me too. It's a great sign. Yeah. I, uh, what I, something that I will give a little validity to is that how he uh, described rap as, as a bunch of like four bar loops, which I thought was really interesting because I think his whole argument is all about the musicality of um, tracks, even rap music, right? So the idea of just quick repetitions uh, is very, very boring. And I, I kind of get what he's trying to say in that like it's almost very robotic and it's not very organic. And I understand that, but I still don't necessarily agree with it wholly. No, I mean, something he says is that uh, I think his problem with current music is he says a lot of current musicians lack formal training uh, and aren't as strong musically in terms of technique as people were when he was creating music or I mean he still is I guess but right. when he was coming up and the thing is, is I don't know if that's become less important or more important whatever there's still amazing musicians out there they're still making good music and uh, pop is never like a bastion of amazing musicians uh, the, the things he was involved in were jazz and, and stuff like that. And those guys are all monsters there. You can't even compete with them. No, for sure. And I, I, one of my favorite parts of the interviews is when he throws T pain under the bus for not understanding what he's after, because a couple of years ago, uh, Quincy did put uh, together a project or was asked to put together a project with a bunch of rappers. And uh, literally he was just like, T pain doesn't get it, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> T pain, the master of autotune. Yeah, he actually has a really great singing voice. Uh, beyond that, really? though, yeah, there is a an NPR Tiny Desk um performance that he does. This actually sounds really, really good from a couple of years ago. I love those Tiny Desk performances. Actually, there's some really good ones. Yeah, and, and I'll make sure to send that to you. Uh, so yeah, T Pain, not that bad of a singer. He just decided to use Auto Tune to sort of distance himself from a lot of what was going on uh in the rap sphere at that time. Which I can understand. You want to do, you want to break out, but then you get sort of pigeonholed too, right? Yeah, for sure. And um, he had that really good app, too. The T-Pain the microphone? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, how could we forget him talking about Marlon Brando wanting to uh, be intimate with everything? Yeah, and also... Richard Pryor and Marvin Gaye. Yeah, and, and also, uh, tech-related, tech he talked about how amazing Paul Allen is uh, playing guitar and singing. Sounds exactly like Jimi Hendrix, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Uh, but yet, uh, nothing has been released to give that up. No. So uh, it's it's funny. It's he's like uh, how they got to the Paul Allen thing is like uh, 
but you know who sings and plays just like Hendrix? And he's like, so the reporter is, who? Paul Allen. And he replies, stop it. The Microsoft guy? Yeah, man, I went on a trip on his yacht, and he had David Crosby, Joe Walsh, Sean Lennon. And uh, yeah, apparently uh, he's incredible. Not a huge surprise, I guess. I mean, like a lot of people have hidden talents. Some of them are just witnessed by Quincy Jones. Some aren't. Well, look, if you made that much money with Microsoft and just dedicated your life to learning how to play guitar and singing like Hendrix, you could do it. Yeah, but I think there needs to be some ability in there, too, I think. There, yeah, there, there has to be, of course. And with that, let's head over to the paranormal section of things, Angela. Sound good? Sounds good. Testing. My name is Toby, and I'm the host of the Secret Transmission Podcast. We are a show that discusses the paranormal, conspiracies, the supernatural, UFOs, cryptozoology, and anything else weird. Our show is transmitted to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates, at Secret Transpod. So get ready to put on your tinfoil hats and come learn with us as we try to explain the unexplainable. Welcome back to Double Dancing. You just heard a promo for the Secret Transmissions podcast. I love those guys. I recently listened to the Jim Jones episode and was tweeting about it. And they had a very special guest on the episode. And I didn't know this at the time, but they have a Twitter account for this very special guest. Uh, Satan shows up sometimes on the podcast. And I was tweeting about how I didn't really enjoy wanting to meet their secret guests. And uh, Satan replied to me. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's um, it's actually something I think we mentioned it briefly once on an older show where, yeah, it was on the show with Rob where we were talking about who you would sell your soul to and what for. And I had mentioned, well, you can't do it for podcasting because Toby from Secret Transmission right, already right. did that. And now Satan is their producer. So go check them out. I love their take on things. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's It's different. It's very, very earnest. Yeah. And you can tell they're all in the same room because the, they seem to have a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> so go check them out. So Unlike can, Brian and I, who hate each other. And who keep at a safe distance. Like, you're 45 minutes away from me. Like, this is perfect distance for me. Yeah. By the way, we do not really hate each other. Brian and I have a nice relationship. Yeah, I'd say it's a decent working relationship. Don't push it there, buddy. All right. <laughs> uh, this week, uh, for paranormal stuff, we're going to get a little technical. Uh, a little more technical than usual. And I feel like it's a great topic that you suggested that... Uh, we can talk a lot about, but also sort of like allow our listeners to talk about too. Do you want to get into this or should I? It's something that I haven't really seen too much about. I kind of came across it just researching different topics for the show and I had never heard about it. It's something called the Marianas Web, named after the Marianas Trench. And I think it's named that because it's it's deeper than the deepest of all webs, which the Marianas Trench is the deepest uh, trench in uh, the oceans on Earth. And it goes beyond what is in the dark web that everybody's so scared about. And if you want to laugh and you know anything about the internet, go watch any uh, mainstream, especially like local news reports about uh, the so-called dark web. They're hilarious. Yeah, there's like Gordon G. Hackerman, a cybersecurity expert warning you of things who probably doesn't understand what's going on. No, not at all. Um, I think before we start talking about the Marianas Web and the Deep Web and all that stuff, we kind of have to sort of define what they are. Uh, so let's uh, let's go back into the text section for a second. Perfect. I have a description from uh, dictionary.com about the two, if you're ready for this. 
Okay, well, I'm curious to hear this. According to Dictionary.com's blog, the deep web consists of websites unindexed by search engines, right? So robots.txt is placed on a server, and uh, they know not to be crawled and indexed. On the other hand, the dark web consists of illegal content and services. So deep meaning not necessarily uh, surface or clear web or searchable web, and then the dark web is that uh, cobweb-filled darkness where everything rings, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. Uh, the deep web, though, most of us access it every day, all the time, to do our banking, to check our email. Uh, to a certain extent, uh, even Facebook is deep web because y- you can't just come across your 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 wall because it's always being generated and always new. And another part of the deep web is stuff that actually hasn't been indexed either because it's newly generated or always constantly generating, like let's say your Twitter page, or um, something that's so obscure that no one's ever linked to it, so Google can't actually find it or any other search web. uh, Or something that I was involved in in the late 90s, early 2000s, prior to FTP servers would be considered deep web? I guess. I mean, they're unindexed, yet they exist if you just type in the URL, right? So Yeah, so okay, that's a really good example then. And the dark web is something else, though, right? The dark web is also part of the internet, just like the regular web. And, uh, oh, well, before we go to dark web, actually, like, before the deep web, uh, there's just the regular web, right? Like, anything you can find on, on Google, right? So let's say you you type in uh, Double Density Podcast. First thing that pops up is doubledensity.net, and that's our website, and that's that's totally accessible to anyone. There's nothing deep or dark about it. It's just there. Let's refer to that as the normie web. Uh, Okay, the normie web. I think most places call it the surface web or the normal web, but yes, normie web it is, Brian. Yes. Um, Then there's the deep web, which we explained, and then the dark web. Again, it's like the regular, it just sits on top of the internet just like the regular web, but you can't access it uh, through Google Chrome or Safari or... uh, Internet Explorer, if you want to use that, or Netscape, whatever your your Netscape, thing. yeah, or maybe yeah. that. What was I was reading? I can't remember what it was, but someone had to go back in time and use an older browser in order to find information. Like it was, I can't remember what it was. It was some kind of thriller, I think, where they had to actually go back and try to figure out how to get this older tech to work in order to access these things. Must have been a Dan Brown novel, Brian. Yeah, chapter forty-seven of Oracle or whatever. Yeah, five pages in chapter forty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, like the mosaic browser. Were you watching? Maybe you were watching *Halt and Catch Fire*. There you go, referring to fact and fiction put together. And so the thing is, you can't access the dark web with your regular browser. Let's say you find the dark web website, you put it into your browser, you're going to get this page isn't accessible, and that's because it's it's using a different uh, top level domain. Uh, more often than not, it's .onion. And the reason it's it's called dot onion it's, it uses something called onion routing. Basically, it's called onion routing because there's different layers of encryption that it can't easily be accessed. There's no way to just break through one layer of encryption. It bounces off from different nodes all over the web to reach where it does, and then it comes back to you, and only you can read it. None of the other nodes along the way know exactly what that information is, which makes it really great for um, horribly illegal activities. But on the positive side, people use it if they're, let's say, political dissidents or uh, journalists working on something that can possibly cause harm to them. 
who knows, there are really good reasons to use it as well. Uh, it's something called the Tor browser, uh, standing for the Onion Router. So have you ever used uh, Tor? No, because I know myself and I'm going to go and try and find the deepest, darkest stuff I can uh, by my nature, right? So I'm not even going to uh, bother doing that. Also, it's uh, isn't it called an onion because like you're peeling back layers of the internet? Yeah, that's what I said. I don't pay attention to you anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. I think I said I just, that. Yeah, I, I think I'm just trying to goad you into an internet fight right now as we talk about the internet. That's very meta. I know, but no, I've never used Tor. Have you? No, I um I gone to the website just out of uh, interest, but I don't know. It's it's beyond the scope of what I do on a computer. Come on, uh, I I like computers. I like all this stuff, but uh, it's just not that it's complicated. It's just I have no need for it. I really don't. And the thing is, with the Onion Router, you can um, the browser. You can use it to just browse the regular web and be a little more anonymous. But uh, between you and I, Brian, I really have nothing to be anonymous about. At this point, uh, it's not really a big deal for me. However, I do see the value in it. The problem is it's also being used for bad stuff. Yeah, for say. sure. I And there's no denying, like, I think that, like, uh, investigations into things like the Silk Road have definitely revealed that, like, not is all on the up and up on the dark web, um, which is an unfortunate misnomer, I think. I think other web is just fine, if you want to call it that, because I don't necessarily think it's inherently bad, but uh, a lot of uh, unfortunate transactions uh, do happen there. Uh, but speaking about the Mariana's web, though, it's like this, like, fever dream for conspiracy theorists, because apparently everything you've ever wanted to know exists there, just beyond your reach. But you can't get there because you don't have access to it. It's so there's this horrible, horrible infographic. <laughs> I, I don't even want you to look at it because the language on there is just really offensive and not and not just like swear words. It's just I don't like it. It's um, also clearly created by like someone who's very, very uh, in love with 4chan. Yeah, and childish and uh, not anyway. It's it's not something that. I believe our listeners would want to look at, but it sort of talks about what is it like the eight levels or nine levels of the internet, sort of like Dante's Inferno. Yeah, you got to scale your way down for the really good slash bad stuff. Like, for example, one of my favorite things in this infographic is deep, deep down there, uh, we've hidden the location to Atlantis. So, yes, so that's something that you'll find on the Marianas web. The thing is, is with that stupid uh, infographic, the Marianas web is only level five. Then there's like level six, which is. A question, a question mark. mark yeah and then level five which is the fog slash virus soup and then level eight which is the primark system i don't know this is, it sounds insane there's a really uh funny and fun uh rational wiki uh article on the deep web which i will link in the show notes it's funny uh you will see the horrible infographic there i don't necessarily encourage you to look at it, but just kind of peruse it and see what's there. Well, some of the funny stuff is the deeper you go. Some of the stuff is just pure fantasy that actually doesn't exist or make sense, right? Like uh, Tesla experiment plans. Like, what does that even mean? Is it like Tesla, like Elon Musk's Tesla or Tesla, the actual Nikola Tesla? I assume it's the Nikola Tesla stuff. So like intermingled with like the location of Atlantis and the Tesla experiment is just like stuff that does exist, unfortunately, on there. Right. So underage pornography and uh, other things like that and um, things like red rooms and snuff films, which actually have been proven to ever exist. Snuff um, films have not been proven to exist in on the dark web. 
okay on the dark web because as that, far as uh, i mean i haven't really researched much of it because let's be honest i don't want to type these things into a browser knowing what i know about the internet but as far as like news articles i've seen there there's not much right so yeah all i know about stuff films i learned from that um nicholas cage movie oh eight millimeter yeah that was actually yeah. when nicholas cage was good was he ever good though he was really really fantastic in fast times at ridgemont high for the three seconds he was there and uh right after that he made a movie called the vampire's kiss where he played a vampire uh probably one of his greatest comedic roles and it wasn't meant to be a comedic role so uh go ahead and check that out if you want but he has an oscar yeah but that's uh, it's kind of meaningless if, i guess well one but two like you 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 put yourself in enough production sooner or later something might happen to you so we've kind of kind of like gone off here but let, let's explain what the marianus web is uh, so grab your shovel yeah it, it it goes a whole step further than what you would find on the quote unquote dark web. So let's let's list a few of the things that are there. Uh, you, we kind of alluded to them uh, just now, but there's things like the, like you said, the Tesla experiment plans, uh, stuff like Joseph Mengele successes, which sounds absolutely awful. Uh, there's the one that I love, the one that makes me smile is that apparently uh, there's a form of super intelligent female AI that's become sentient. And this thing <laughs> overlooks the internet and takes care of it and uh, allows us to use this internet that it's actually um, sort of creating now behind the scenes. Like, right, humans created the internet, but now this thing took over and it's controlling everything. And you can only reach it through the uh, what they call closed shell system um, these are all techno babble terms. It's really not. Yes. These are not actual technical terms. This is all absolute garbage. This is not something that you would find in uh, deep inside like an Apple or Microsoft uh, OS guide. It's not real information. Like, for example, the closed-shell system actually comes from like the uh, uh, anime Ghost in the Shell, from what I can understand. Um and also, in order to access uh, Mariano's web, you need a quantum computing uh, power, which is just theoretical at this point. It doesn't actually exist. Yes. And you need, let me see if I can pronounce this correctly, the polymeric falsigol derivation. I didn't accept that. This is apparently the algorithm that's most associated with the, uh, the Mariano web. And it doesn't... There's nothing. This doesn't make any sense. First of all, quantum computing doesn't really exist yet. There have been some experiments, uh, very minor things that they can do, but there's no quantum computing. Now, according to the guy who created this uh, this eight levels of hell, I mean, sorry, these eight levels of the internet, he thinks that this is what's controlling things. And one of the things, it's, it currently has been called the Vatican Secret Archives of the Web. So <laughs> So, like, it's called the Vatican Secret Archives of the Web, but within this, the Vatican Secret Archives are also there. Right. And That's so part right, of it. My favorite part, and I forgot about this, is right above uh, Mariano's Web exists uh, the fourth level, which contains the hidden wiki. What the hell is the hidden wiki? It's uh, where uh, Wikipedia articles go to die. Also, banned, uh, banned books, banned media. It's not that hard to find banned things on the open web. It's very easy to do. Headhunters. I mean, I know some people that actually work as headhunters, or is it people that kill people? 
I think it's people that kill people or try to recruit others. Also, a million, uh, multi-billion dollar deals happen on here. I oh, did not my know God. That. I... That never happens in the real world, multi-billion dollar deals. Never. Apparently most of the black market exists right above Mariana's web. Yeah. It's kind of like, like I was saying before, it's the fever dream of every conspiracy theorist that all of this exists in one handy place that we can't access because of reasons. Well, it's the, the poly, polymeric uh, falsigol derivation. You need to access that and you can't without ac- access to a quantum computer, which we don't have. The government has it. Well, yeah, of they course they have do. it. Of the NWO is working on it. They're all there working on this quantum computer. And as much as I'd love to like think that this exists, there's a very basic tenant that makes me believe it's not right. And it's that Stuart Brand quote uh, that information wants to be free, right? So the idea that like this stuff, if found by even one person, would get out there super quickly. Uh, so I really doubt the veracity of a treasure chest filled with all the secrets of the world and, you know, the person finding it, the person's being able to like find it, uh, not trying to share that with as many people as possible for whatever reason. So I think that like it kind of flies, uh, this kind of idea flies in the basic face of the face of like basic tenets of information. In in terms of like, uh, stuff we've discussed on double density that has almost no chance of being real. I think I put this like above uh ufos like most like, stuff yeah like most stuff I'll, I'll believe in like aliens visiting the earth before i believe in this this is complete uh insanity because we know it's not possible so to me this is the most masterful troll that op has ever done so congrats on op for posting this and for living uh years later on the internet and uh kind of like sandra bullock in the net like people are just gulping this kind of information up and believing it to be true right so someone who has no idea of how the internet works would definitely see this and believe all of it most people don't understand how the internet works uh, i mean even you and i that we we love this stuff there's so much that Yes, we know the the big picture of how it works, but there's a lot of under-the-hood stuff that we don't really know, I guess. Uh, but this stuff, this is like way under the hood. This is like underground in like the core of the earth. Yeah, there's a lot of that. That, uh... And that's the thing, right? Like the, the core of this, like it's it's just education, right? So the more computer literacy you can gain in your lifetime, the better off you are, I think. And uh I, like you, I am less believing in this than the majority of the paranormal topics. Like, I will believe ghosts before I, I believe in the Mariner's Web. I will believe in aliens before the Mariner's Web. I will believe in crop circles. I will even believe in most of Nostradamus's quatrains before I believe this. Did he predict this? I we, <laughs> We'll have to double check. My sex hour, uh, all Nostradamus special coming out November 2018, my friends. Wow, I can't wait. This does something I, I find annoying is when... People like use the word uh, quantum to just like hand wavy explain anything. It's uh, it's something uh, skeptics like to call quantum woo, which you know like uh, Deepak Chopra. He like he likes to, to like throw around quantum stuff all the time as if he knows what he's talking about, but he doesn't. And this is like the equivalent just for the internet. I want you to do me a favor right now, okay? Okay. Close your eyes. I'm done. Okay, now I want you to think, what would you, what is your wish list for things that would appear on the Mariana's web? Like, what truths would you like to be spoken on there? Because I have a good one. Okay, I definitely would like to know what actually happened with JFK. Okay, I, but Quincy Jones told you, but okay. Okay, um, even though I'm 99% sure they were mogul balloons, I'd like to know what happened at Roswell. 
Okay. I'd really like to know uh, what the Socorro, New Mexico landing UFO was. Okay. And do I get one more? Yeah, sure. Why not? Knock yourself out. Um, hmm. Here, while, while you do that, while you okay. think about your last one, I will give you a couple of my own. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, I would have loved to have seen the Mothman, the original Mothman. Like, oh, I want to yes. know the true stories behind the Mothman, right? So I want all of the detailed uh, photos that the government has, anything that any source has in there. Similarly, I would love, love, love that um, security videos from Skinwalker Ranch were just placed oh, on a okay. server somewhere. You're, yes, you've just found the ones I was, was looking for. So perfect. Uh, one that I, so I'm going to start my own conspiracy theory here. So I want you to think about this one, right? So uh, it turns out that the Marianus web is real. Elon Musk has access to it, which is why he's going around telling everyone that we live in a simulation because he knows this for a fact. Oh, interesting. I, uh, so it's funny cause I'm, I'm reading a book. Uh, it's the fourth book of, um, it's called magic 2.0. The first book was called off to be the wizard where, um, it's not a spoiler, but in the first few pages of the book, the, the main character finds this weird code in a computer, um, in a database he's working on. And then he notices when he's editing certain parts of the database, weird stuff starts happening around them. And he basically discovers that we're in a simulation. And then he goes back in time to pretend to be a wizard. And uh, that's basically the Marianas web at that point. <laughs> I uh, I like how we're creating these uh, myths and tying them to the Marianas web. Because at this point, it could be anything to anyone, right? Really? Because it's, it's, it's a concept that exists without actual proof. Like, were we to go out into the internet and say, prove that the Marianas web is real, nothing or no one could prove this to be true. No, it, it's it's... It's unfalsifiable. Is that the term? Yeah. You can't, it's, you can't, you're basically making something up. It's, it's like Carl Sagan used to say about the dragon in my, in my uh, garage where it's like, oh, it's a dragon, but it's invisible and you can't hear and it's silent and the fire breathes is, 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 is like cool or whatever. I can't remember the exact, I'm totally butchering that. Go read Demon Hunted World. But you keep kind of like moving what's actually can be found about this. Uh, and you just, again, wave it away with quantum garbage. Well, that, and I think there's a, to anyone who does believe this exists, there's this like weird confirmation bias that ties together seemingly unrelated things. And then maybe hypothesizing that, oh, this is in fact all part of a larger narrative. And like that exists offline as like the new world order, right? Yeah. And the Bohemian Grove people, that's what, the, that's how you sign up to Bohemian Grove actually, is you, you go through the Marianas web. <laughs> Alex Jones. I wonder if Alex Jones has actually uh, covered Marino's web. I don't want to look that up because I don't want to uh, give that man any more clicks than I have to, but I'm not going to buy anything from his store either. So I guess there's that. That's how he makes his money. Um, well, actually, looking around the web, uh, at least the surface web, I didn't go down further than that. Um, there wasn't much on the Marino's web in terms of like podcasts or anything. So, uh, I wonder uh, if uh, if we'll become the main source of information for the Marianas web. Well, here's to hoping, fingers crossed, and I hope people listen all the way to the end and get an idea that like this is a fun construct that exists. And that's the thing is like it's part of the fun of the internet is uh, being able to create things like this and see where they go um, virally. Well, when I first started hearing about the internet, uh, I remember telling somebody I knew I was working with this was back when I had my first job at a movie theater. I was talking to somebody, he's like, oh, I have the internet. I'm like, you must never be bored. Because in my head, the internet had everything. And this was like, what, 97 or 98? So it was in its infancy, really. Uh, 
I used to basically use the internet, like I've mentioned before, to go on Alanis Morissette web rings. <laughs> I think people should invest their time in much more interesting things, such as the Cicada 3301 thing, right? The what? The Cicada uh, 3301, like ARG, like the weird Oh, yes, that they puzzle. do every January or whatever? Yeah, well, it's not every January, but it, it kind of pops up a lot and it's just uh there's like a lot of like long strings urls that exist since it's kind of this really really dense game that you uh you can join in but it, it kind of goes dormant after a while if you think back like 20 years ago this is what we're using the internet for to play these bizarre elaborate games uh, that take up a lot of time but i think ultimately to whoever discovers what they're like do they ever get solved these puzzles no, they, they don't. They eh? it's like no. if anybody would solve them, it would be uh, they would gain access to uh, the Marianas web. Well, they weren't solved; they're partially solved, right? So they at one point a bunch of people got emails when they advanced to a certain uh, stage of the puzzle. Beyond that, there's not much out there uh, in terms of an end game. Yeah, I and I I wonder like so looking at the the, the level six through seven through eight is level eight the end game? It's called the apparently the Primark system. It's uh, really really weird yeah and i mean the thing is that, like the the dark web as it exists now that is verifiable is, is still a horrible place you can buy and sell people buy and sell drugs weapons almost anything you want on there right so um what we already know exists is like a horrible cesspool anyways uh to a certain degree yeah that's something we can't stress enough is that we're not making light of that stuff at all we're <laughs> no, that, that exists that's verifiable people have been arrested is, like there have been investigations like it's it's not out of the realm of possibility it exists it's an actual thing out there that people uh, get involved with every day that is not a hoax or anything that is absolutely true we're just talking about people who have created myths that uh are tantalizingly real uh below that level of existence yeah, and and stuff I do find comical is like I said those local news reports that uh confuse the dark web with the deep web thinking it's one and the same whereas um last time I checked the stats were that 96% of the entire web is deep web because it's all stuff either behind the paywall or passwords or just databases that are completely useless to most people. Yeah, and I mean the thing is that like just to back things up to the primary system that exists is Probably creepy Boston. We've talked about creepy Boston before. Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, the 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 rational wiki article sums it up as the final boss of the internet. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And I think that's pretty much it for the Mariners Web this week. We've kind of had fun debunking it, talking about concepts behind it, uh, and. To anyone who does actually think that it exists, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any proof, uh, doubledensity.net. You can hit us up at Twitter, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. The same thing with Instagram. Go ahead. Put yourself out there. That's uh, things. Or you can reach us through the dark web, but we'll never check. No, we won't check. And um, before we go, there's one more thing we wanted to mention, right? The um, UFO Book Club will probably be out uh, this coming Monday, if all goes well, on February 26th. And uh, definitely go listen. Uh, Brian and I had a great time with uh, Rob and Sam discussing. They're, they are previous guests on the show, and obviously they have their own podcast. The uh, book club is part of Our Strange Skies, which is Rob's podcast, and Sam came on. We all chatted about the book The Close Encounters Man, and uh, it's a great biography of J. Allen Hynek. So definitely go have a look at Rob's podcast, Our Strange Skies. We'll post a link in the show notes. 
that's pretty much it for episode 43 of the Double Density Podcast. Angela, I had a great time tonight. This was a lot of fun. Always I hope that- fun going down the deep, dark recesses of the internet to see uh, what's true and what's quantum woo. I really, really do hope that as you check in on your kids' name when they're sleeping, I want you to whisper, don't go on the dark web. I will. I always do that. All right, Angela, see you around. See you, Brian. problem is is that regular browsers like google chrome uh safari did i say google and chrome no google chrome safari uh, i don't know how to help with that yet <laughs> <laughs> uh, internet is listening to you dude yeah deep dark web just showed up i don't know if the mics picked it up but hey <laughs> yes